Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to John chapter 12. Do you know what I I, I just got told? I have preached 71 sermons so far in the Gospel of John. Yeah. And and someone someone pointed, I'm, I'm, I'm at chapter 12. So, why are we going so slow? Because I don't know what I'm reading. And neither do you. And so we're saying, let's really understand this. Let's let Jesus really disciple us and teach us. And I'll tell you, it's been such a journey, such a blessing. I'm just looking today at his statement there in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 12. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears? We want to hear your voice. Would you open our eyes to see our Lord Jesus Christ? Crucified, but resurrected and seated at the right hand of our Father. Would you... Give, grant us faith. We give you our hearts today. We would, be, we would be full of faith. We would be full of love. We would ask you, Lord, to just come and reveal. We do not bring rebellious hearts. We bring tender hearts to you. I ask you to teach us. Teach us. Let us see the power of Christ's victory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This, what I'm going to read you, is spoken on a Palm Sunday afternoon. He will be crucified on Friday afternoon. On Palm Sunday afternoon, as he's he's already just said, um, he's deeply aware of the cross. He says that my hour is here and the sorrow is upon me. He's he's already beginning to just deal with the the agonies psychologically of what's ahead of him. And he, he says this. He's on the Temple Mount, I think. He's got a crowd there listening to him. And he speaks these words. Uh, There's already been a voice from heaven. Uh, which God has said, uh, uh, I have glorified uh, your, my name through you. And uh, there's been discussion, was it an angel? Was that thunder? What was it? And, and verse 30, Jesus answered and said, the voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Would you read that with me? Now judgment is upon this world. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Notice there's two things there. Do you see it? Judgment is upon this world now. So the world's under judgment. And he says now, and he's talking, of course, about the cross, what he's about, what he's about to do. And he says, now the ruler of this world, who's that? Satan. Satan, yeah. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. The judgment of God's going to be de- dealt with, and the, and the power of Satan's going to be dealt with, he says, right now. And then he says, how? (laughs) Verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Read that with me. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he just talked about being lifted up on the cross. On Sunday, five days before he was crucified, Jesus said this. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This world is under God's judgment because of sin. And the ruler of this world is the devil. 
So on that day, Jesus was announcing that his death on the cross and his resurrection would potentially release all humans from these two forms of bondage, the judgment of God and the control of the devil. He was announcing that he had come like a warrior to set us free from condemnation and bondage. Would you say condemnation and bondage? Condemnation and bondage. He's going, he, Jesus came to lift both. We need to realize that his victory means our victory. Through his cross and resurrection, a great spiritual transaction took place. The barrier of sin that prevented God from helping us was removed so that he could be merciful to us and give us an entirely new dimension of God's spirit. So that the devil's control over us would be broken. The cross removed our condemnation. And the resurrection released God's power. Why don't you read that? The cross removed our condemnation and the resurrection released God's power. When we put our full trust in Jesus Christ, when we completely surrender our will to him and let him become our Lord. Did you hear that part? When we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has freely given to us in Christ, everything changes. The forces that tried to ruin us in the past don't cease to exist, but they have been defeated. As we learn to lay hold of Christ's victory, we discover that we are at last able to begin walking on the path God planned for us before we were born. We discover who we really are. An entirely new person emerges who makes very different choices and pursues very different goals. Finally, we're able to act like the son or daughter whom God saw when he fearfully and wonderfully formed us in our mother's womb. You may have had a rough life. Things may have gone very badly, but I'm going to tell you something. God knit you and designed you. He sovereignly oversaw your, your, your formation in your mother's womb. He had a plan for you. Not a plan, uh, he, he does not, uh, his greatest interest isn't that you uh, become rich or successful or whatever, he might, he, that might be part of his plan, but ultimately his plan is that you serve him. Right. See, now here's the difference. So many times we come to God and we think, God, how can I get you to help me achieve my goals? And God's thinking the same thing. <laughs> how can I get you to help me achieve my goals? You see? We've got the whole thing backwards. And when you get, that's why we keep using the word surrender. When you finally give up sort of that, your own ambitions, and say, okay, God, you made me, you designed me for eternal work. I'm in. What do you want me to do? At that point, you begin to align yourself with the very way God created you. I I mentioned there Psalm 139. I, I quote it enough. You don't need me to hear it again. But David says this. He says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I was woven, and he uses the phrase, in the depths of the earth. He's talking about his mother's belly. He's saying, when I was formed in my mother's womb, you designed me, God, to be the king of Israel. You knew I was going to be a king. You knew I I would need administrative gifts. You knew I would need leadership gifts. You knew I would need to be a good warrior. And you designed into me those qualities that I would need to fit your plan for me. Did you hear what I just said? He designs you in your mother's womb to do what he has planned for you. 
And so as David has aligned his life, he says, this is amazing. He's looking back. You designed me to do what you wanted me to do. That's not just true for David. That's true for you. It is. I'm not just, this is true. This is how God does it. I'll show you another verse in a minute. All of us are fearful, are, are designed by God. So that when you've come and when you surrender your heart to him and say, all right, Lord, I love you and I'm in. What do you want me to do? How may I serve you? And you begin to walk with him. Here's what happens. You begin to align yourself with the very way you're designed and with the will of God. And so now he begins to bless you, really. You know, we hear all this talk about here's how you get this and here's how you get that. And, here's like, and then some of you have tried it and you go, that doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work if you aren't on the path. It doesn't work if you're using it for your own ambitions. It, it only seems to work for the people that sell it. Uh, they, get, they seem to get pretty wealthy. What works is when you align yourself onto his path. So when we, what, I, when we have these water baptisms, and we'll have one next week, and if you haven't had a good one, that's the way I phrase it. Some people say, well, should I have it again? I said, well, let's have one good one. One you knew what you were doing. Uh, because it isn't water. It, it isn't just about getting wet. So let's have one good one. But what thrills me is, is I mean, I'm always sitting there asking somebody, you know, are you, are you, are you willing to, to die with Jesus, give up your old life, and rise as his disciple? Are you fully surrendered? Will you give all? You know why it's so important? Because once that heart changes there, the future's changed. Now you make different decisions. Now you have different goals. Now everything about you is, is, re, is reoriented differently. So your past isn't your future. But your, pa- your, your past will show you your future if you don't change the way you think and the way you choose. Do you, do you follow? If you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. But when you change the way you think, when you go to God and let him guide your choices, when you ask him to show you what he wants and you surrender to him and begin to live for him, your future is entirely different. You have just changed the future. Until a person has been set free from the condemnation that their sin has brought upon them, until a person has been set free from the deception and oppression hurled at us by the ruler of this world, you know Hasatan, Satan? That's what it means. The one who casts against. That's what the, that's the, what the word in, in Hebrew means. Until a person has been set free from the cravings, passions, and confused thinking that arise from these dying bodies we live in, and until a person has been set free from the anxiety and depression that haunts us because of our fear of death, a person is unable to experience what it means to be his workmanship. I'd love you to read that with me, this uh, Ephesians 2. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared beforehand, before you were made, who knows, maybe before the worlds were made. I think so. He prepared good works for you to walk in. For you to walk in. You are here for a reason. You're here for a reason. Eternal, eternal things hang in the balance as to whether you and I will do our part and do what we're called to do. It, it matters a great deal. It's not about just having something positive in my life. It's about eternal things waiting for us to do our part. But once Christ's victory is released in that person's life, once those forces that held us have lost their grip, 
God immediately goes to work healing, restoring, guiding, training, correcting, dis disciplining, teaching, comforting, and strengthening until we become who we were meant to become. There are no exceptions to this process of restoration. No one is too old or too young. No one has sinned so badly that God cannot res rescue the design he placed in that heart. Yes, we might end up being who we were called to be in jail or in the midst of, the, of a family that our past behavior is devastated or in a, in a body that's been damaged by neglect or terrible choices. But the gifts and callings of God are not changed by our circumstances. Like a seed planted in good soil, they instinctively begin to emerge and we learn to express them in whatever opportunities we have left. That is, until we ourselves are re res re resurrected into the new bodies that Christ's victory has made possible. Then someday we'll step into a whole new season of ministry as his representatives in the new kingdom of God. See, life for you has just begun. Life for you has just begun. The Bible says you, we, we will rule and reign with Christ in, in a new kingdom that's coming. And that doesn't mean bossing people around. It means ministering to them. That's, that's how he always works. Like a seed put in soil. When, when, when that heart's right, when, when, those, when the power of, of condemnation and sin is removed and God comes in with his, with his blessing and his plan, when all of that is there, when, when I have the power within me so that my body and all of the appetites and addictions and, 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 and emotions and things no longer control me, my life begins to grow up like a seed. Now, I may have, I may have had a really rough history up to that point. I could be in jail. In fact, right now, there are people who, who, who listen to us in, in jail. I, I know a man... He did something horrific. I mean, he's famous. And he is, he's pastoring. He is the chaplain in one of the state penitentiaries in another place. Uh, he ministers constantly. See, uh, it didn't matter where you put him now. Once he's in Christ, up comes that pastor's heart. Up comes, that, um, up comes the plant. Up comes who he really is. And all, all around. So there he is in a, in a state penitentiary uh, ministering constantly and serving the Lord there. So it doesn't matter what your history was. Once that changes in the heart, the plant comes up. Liberating the captives. Uh, let's have a look at Luke 4. Jesus is, uh, this is very early in his ministry. He has just, not long before this, been baptized in the Jordan River. And... Uh, collected at least five or six disciples. And he returns to his hometown up in Nazareth, up in the Galilee. And it says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been out in the wilderness, remember, for 40 days and had that uh, tremendous uh, encounter. And news about him spread through all of the surrounding district. And he began teaching in, in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, 
and recovery of sight to the blind, and I think that particularly means spiritually blind. He certainly did heal the blind eyes, even a man born blind. But I think in this context, it's talking about uh, those who are spiritually blind, I will give sight to, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They would not have had a book, they would have had scrolls. Um, no, no synagogue, particularly, maybe, maybe uh, they're in Jerusalem, had all of the books of the Bible by any means. You had the Torah, the five books of, of Moses, and then whatever you could get. They're expensive, they're difficult, and they're all hand done. And there are scrolls, so they would have clearly had, in, uh, well, you see it, in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus' home synagogue, they had Isaiah. And so they bring out Isaiah to him and they hand it to him. And there's no chapters and verses. He would have, he would have looked through it like this. He would have just been looking through it till he came to the place. It's Isaiah 61 in ours. He would have found it and it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he began, and then he says to them, this is fulfilled in your hearing now, in me. Early in his ministry, Jesus returned to the small worker village where he grew up, called Nazareth. His stepfather and mother had moved there when he was very young. And because he'd been raised in a devout family, he had regularly attended that synagogue. So this is home synagogue to him. He's, he's grown up with these people. So on the Sabbath, he went into worship and was asked to speak to the congregation. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he scanned through it until he came to this passage that said this. Let's read this together again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." And then Luke tells us he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What he meant by that statement was, I am the person about whom Isaiah was prophesying. I am the Christ, the Messiah, and I have come to do those things for you. Let that, let that register. This is his assignment. His assignment, his victory is to bring us victory. He's come to preach the gospel to those who are spiritually impoverished. He's come to pro pro proclaim release to those who are captive, held in bondage to addictions and, and, and whatever else, giving sight to those who don't see the truth, and lifting the oppression off those who are oppressed. That is good news. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. He had recently been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit had come down from heaven like a dove and rested upon him. At that moment, the Father had empowered him to fulfill this assignment. Let me say something. You might think that Jesus did the miracles he did because he's the divine son of God. He is indeed the divine son of God. But he did not move in the power of the second person of the Trinity. He did not move as the Son of God. He moved as a man anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. At the Jordan River, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nothing was done, no miracles before that. You may have read some kind of silly stories, there are such things, but, but he did nothing before that moment. 
he is, he came from heaven. He existed from forever as the son of God. He came and he was joined in his mother's womb and that there was a fertilization, a miraculous fertilization, and that spirit came and joined human flesh. When, when your parents conceived you, your spirit ignited just like that. That was the moment. There's a, suddenly a human spirit that gets ignited in, 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 uh, in, as we conceive a child. That wasn't true in Mary. In Mary, the, the spirit of, of, of Jesus came and was joined to human flesh. Your body, soul, and spirit, he is body, soul, and spirit. Only his spirit is eternal. Yours began at your conception. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So when he came, he laid aside those privileges of divinity. The Bible pictures it like laying aside a coat. It's like he took off those, those, the glories of heaven, laid them aside, and descended and became one of us. Not only one of us, says Paul, but, but, but someone who went to the cross for us. He, and he says, such humility, such humility. And he says, you and I should, should follow him in that kind of humility. It's really a beautiful statement. So understand, when the power of the Holy Spirit came on him at the Jordan River, when he was baptized there, having surrendered, may I add, lay down in water baptism, saying, basically, John, bury me. I know what's ahead if I follow my calling. I'll die. Bury me. He comes up out of the water. Heaven's open. A voice says, my, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the spirit of God came on him in power. From then on, he began to minister. What's his assignment? To speak to those who are poor, who, have, who are spiritually impoverished, to give sight to those who don't see, to lift the oppression off of people. He's come to rescue us. He has come to rescue us. Would you say that? The father had empowered him to fulfill this assignment. So he explained to his home synagogue that he had been sent to preach a message of hope to people who were spiritually hopeless, that he had been sent to proclaim release to people who were held in bondage, that he had been sent to reveal the true path to salvation to those who had never understood it, that he had been sent to proclaim freedom to those who had become prisoners, and that he had been sent to tell people that a season had arrived in which God would be amazingly merciful to anyone who would repent. That's the favorable year of the Lord. God will be amazingly merciful in this season. But none of that good news would be possible without the cross and resurrection. Jesus himself would have to provide the victory that would set people free from those enemies, defeated enemies. The Bible mentions four powerful forces that captured the human race. No one is exempt. They afflict all of us. But as we'll see, Christ's victory has made it possible for us to escape from their control. Here's a list of those four enemies and an explanation of how Jesus has given us victory over them. Number one, sin. The separation between God and humans began in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were given a choice of whether to let God be the one who decides what is right and wrong or whether they would decide right and wrong for themselves. And by leaving the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were saying, God, we submit to you and will obey what you ask us to do. And by picking and eating the fruit, they were saying, God, we have decided to make our own moral choices based on our own wisdom. We all know the choice they made. 
where did the problem with God start? How did we get into this mess? How did the separation come, can't come in the first place? Because we weren't designed to be separate from God. This whole thing is, is a mess. This whole thing is a failure. It is not what God intended in the first place. When, when he put the first two people in, in that garden, there were two trees. What were the two trees? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you can eat the, tree, the fruit of, of anything in the garden here uh, except one tree. Which of those trees couldn't they eat from? Was it the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What happened if they ate the tree of life? They lived forever. Were they allowed to eat it? You know, I would have gone right for that tree. I just, what are they thinking? The one tree they were told not to eat from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the, here's the deal with that tree. Who decides what's good and what's evil? If God does, then leave the fruit on the tree. If you decide you're wise enough to make those decisions, then pick that fruit and eat it. That was the issue. Who is going to decide right from wrong? Will it be God or will it be us? Will we use our own judgment? Will we do what's right in our own eyes or will we do what's right in his eyes? Leave the fruit, it's him. Pick the fruit, it's us. What did they do? They picked the fruit. That's the heart of the whole problem with the human race, with our walk with God. Nobody's going to go to heaven hanging on to the fruit. It has to go back on the tree. You, you look, think about it. Think about your own life. You don't even have to think about other people. Think about your own life. Haven't you gotten into the most trouble by trying to do what's right? Right in your own eyes? You said, I, I think this is what I should do. I, I, I don't care what I, I We're going to do this. And boom, it just blew up, right? One mistake after another. Not trying to do the wrong thing. I mean, there are people who just... Yeah, they don't care anymore, but they're pretty far down the line. Most people just get in trouble trying to do what's right in our own eyes. God says, before I repair anything, before we can do anything in your life, I've got to have you put the fruit back on the tree. Let me be God and you do what I say. Does that make sense? How am I going to know his will, by the way? How will I know what he wants? May I suggest it's in here? That's the problem, isn't it? Right there. Yeah. It's, the, it's in here. We begin to follow the word of God. We begin to let him be our counsel. Even when everything in us doesn't want to, we do what he says. And all of a sudden, there comes the change. I was talking to a young man just this is recently, let's say that. And... Uh, he, he was dealing with a drug addiction. Uh, he'd actually gotten off of drugs. I mean, he was a very sincere man. He didn't want this. It's not like he's just sort of, just sort of giving himself to trouble. He, 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 he had it. He hated it. And then he'd gone through some sort of illness, and they gave him medication again, and it reignited the whole mess. And so now he's back addicted to drugs. I said this to him. I said, look, God isn't asking you to get your drug Uh, addiction fixed and then come to him the way you're going to get free is give your he's what I said to him he starts at the center and works his way out do you know what I'm saying by that he starts at the center of us 
He goes right for the heart. He goes to our relationship with him. He gets this sin thing, this rebellion thing. He goes right there. He doesn't say, well, when you get rid of the drugs or we get rid of the, the, the eating disorders, I've had that talk to me recently too, and, uh, or, or, or pornography, or, or you, you, you get rid of that temper, you get rid of those fears, you get those fixed, and then you come to me. We'll, we'll talk. Here's what God knows, that until he's at the center, until the center's fixed, you can't fix anything else. What does that say about, to us as Christians when we begin to judge others who don't have Christ? They, they're slaves. They're entrapped. They have no choice. They have, they have huge enemies at work in their life. Without, without, without God coming in there, we are all trapped and in chains. So it starts right here. And I just say, no matter what your situation is, it, it really doesn't matter. Your healing, your restoration, your future begins right here. Full surrender. Put that back on the tree and say, God, you're God. I will do what you say. I will follow you. I will obey you. And I trust Jesus Christ with all my heart. I believe that he died for me and forgives me. You just cling to that cross. You put your arms around the cross and you hang on. Do you understand? You hang on to him. Not your own righteousness. Not your own goodness. You, don't, you put all that aside. Acknowledge what you've done. Just hang on to the cross and surrender to him. Now you become righteous. Those are the two steps. That full surrender and the, full, and the faith in Christ. And you become righteous in God. Now what does that mean? When you become righteous in God, God gives you everything. He gives you Christ. He gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit to live inside you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's good. He gives you the power to put to death the deeds of the flesh. He gives you the power to deal with the devil. He gives you all you need. You now can walk out. But without him, you can't. I have no idea where I left off, but I'll pick up somewhere. That action started the problem. The relationship with God had been became distant and the impulse to become independent and rebellious was passed down from one generation to the next. A barrier of sin like a wall went up between us and God so that the help and blessings he wanted to give us couldn't happen. Yes, God was still there, but not in the close, beautiful way he was supposed to be. Not in the way we needed him. And the worst part of it all was that when he died, when we died, we would be separated from him forever. By his cross, Jesus defeated the power of sin. He bore the, our guilt so that the barrier that had arisen between us and our Heavenly Father could be removed. God could draw close to us once again, bringing with him the help we so desperately needed. With God in our lives, in his rightful place as our Lord, we can heal and make good choices. The damage begun in the Garden of Eden is ended. We've put the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil back on the tree. God is our God once again. The devil's our second enemy. You'll recall that Jesus called this fallen angel the ruler of this world. But the devil is not the rightful ruler. God is. The devil must steal his power. He gains control over the human race, which, which God intended to rule the planet by tempting and deceiving us. God gave the authority over this planet to who? Adam and Eve. Yes, we are supposed to be his deputies ruling over this planet in submission to him righteously and carefully, not, not exploiting it, caring for it, and loving his people and providing a righteous place. So 
He never gave the devil the authority over this. And yet Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. How did the devil get to be the ruler of this world if God didn't give him that rulership? He steals and lies and deceives his way into people. You who have the authority, all he has to do is get you good and addicted, deceive you, lie to you, twist your thinking, and you begin to serve him. And then as he does this, he now begins to have control over the population. Once we come back and give ourselves to Jesus Christ, we, he gives us authority over the devil. And that is really important because he's a real issue. Let's get back to this. By encouraging us to sin, by, and we fall into shame and bondage, have you noticed? Every time you start to step out, he's going to try to trip you back up. And through deception, he leads us to believe lies about God, ourselves and others. And he and the demonic hosts that serve him really do exist. And if allowed to have their way, will enslave us until we do say and think things that we never thought possible. By his cross and resurrection, Jesus not only forgave our sins, but he granted us spiritual authority. He gave us the privilege to stand in his name. Say in his name. To bind the enemy's power. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he told us to go and said he would be with us always. The devil is a very real and terrible force. But as the apostle John told us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Look, uh, you might have thought in the past that uh, the, the demonic forces and all that kind of influence is something that for a distant land somewhere far away that they have stuff like that. That it has come to America full force. And as our country and society walks away from the things of God, we invite this power, these powers more and more and more. And I, 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 it's, I see it all the time. So do you, frankly. You've got family, neighbors, people who, who have strange things go on. You, you, you see things that are very dark and unusual. Jesus Christ has given us the privilege of his name. You can stand in his name and say, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, I silence this thing. I stop it. And it will obey. Had a, a wonderful example recently. Had a mom come up to me and she said, I want to thank you for, for, for your children's program here. She said, my, my son's been taught how to, in the Lord, you know, how to stand in the Lord. He's a little four-year-old. And he had a dark spirit come into the bedroom and visit him. Uh, anyone else had a, that kind of visit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, two of us. Um, <laughs> and a little four-year-old, this thing comes and says, that's my bed, get out. And he says, no, it's my bed. I belong to Jesus. Get out. Wow. Didn't go. So the kid said it again. He says, it's my bed. Get out in Jesus' name. And it left. Now, picture that. A four-year-old has just watched the authority of Jesus Christ. Can a four-year-old use the name of Jesus? <laughs> Better than us, probably. It is, it is, you need this. I need this. How are we going to walk free when there's an enemy? This isn't, this isn't psychology. This isn't mythic. This reality, there really is stuff. And, and anyone who just walks around and lives life a bit begins to encounter things that are really 
weird. Really weird. There is that realm. How does a person get free without Christ? But with Christ, you now have the name of Jesus. You now can stand, and that stuff will move. The things that come against your family, the kind of things that want to bring that horrible depression. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what I would do without that, when it, with anxiety or depression, when some of those heavy things come. In the name and authority of Christ, get out of here. You leave me alone, and that thing moves. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. The flesh, number three. When Jesus saves, our human, saves us, our human spirit becomes new. This is an important concept. We, now, we love God now and want to please him, but until the day comes when we are resurrected into new eternal bodies, we still have to live in these old fleshly bodies of ours. They aren't new yet. They still contain old appetites, emotions, impulses, weariness, illness, memories, and even old ways of thinking that are still wired into our brains. Paul described our predicament this way. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Say, though the body is dead because of sin. You see that? Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Say that. The spirit the new you must learn to rule over your old flesh. That is so good, it needs to be repeated. The, go on, come on. The new you must learn to rule over your old flesh. If you got to understand that. This body of yours finally gets the redemption at the resurrection. It's going to be redeemed. Body, soul, and spirit. All of it, Christ has, has bought and fought for. But the body will not receive its full ad adoption as sons, Paul calls it in Romans 8 there. It will not happen until the resurrection. So your spirit is brand new. Your spirit loves the Lord. Your spirit's joined to him. The spirit wants to obey God. And yet you have a body that still has its appetites, its impulses, its all of those kinds of things. So now the new use inside the old flesh. How do we deal with that predicament? Here's the answer. But Jesus' resurrection has given us the power to do that. Listen. Why don't you read this with me? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal dying bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. On Good Friday, we had Good Friday services. And we were reflecting on what happened to Jesus. And we look clear back at Abraham's uh, uh, covenant with God in which that terrible curse was there. And God passed through the parts uh, of this slaughtered animals alone. And we realized, why did it have to be so brutal? Why couldn't Jesus have just died a kind of a, a nice clean death? Why did it have to be so savage? Well, the fact is, that's what the curse called for. He was fulfilling that curse. He took that curse upon himself. What happened to Jesus was just horrible. And I'm not going into, into those kinds of things, but scourging is just, just an unthinkable concept alone, let alone everything else, the beatings and all. And then to, make, to finish this, the, the thing, Christ, his, ensure his death, if you recall, the Romans 
did not break his legs. They did broke the other one's legs uh, so they would suffocate, but he was already dead. But they wanted to ensure that he was dead. So the Roman soldier took a spear. Now, the, on the cross, they were not, they were not higher than that. Uh, in fact, you can you, remember the, the, they could hand him a, a drink of vinegar on the sponge with a branch of hyssop. Hyssop's a bush. And so you, you just held it up to him like this. He'd be no higher than that. And so the Roman soldier was, it, took his, his spear, and the, and the Roman uh, spear had, the, had a blade as wide as a man's hand. And he took it, and he went right under the rib cage here and just went and split his heart. His, have you ever heard people talk about the swoon theory? That Jesus, you know, didn't really die. He went into the tomb, and, and the cool air of that tomb resuscitated him. I mean, there are people who are really desperate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's taught. Not only is he scourged, bleeds himself out. It's amazing he stayed alive. I mean, it was a miracle he stayed alive till he could pronounce it is finished. And then they run a spear up his side and split his heart in half. Swoon my foot. The power of the Holy Spirit on that Sunday morning, it would have been early today, came upon that savaged body, ripped to pieces, split with its heart, and so exploded within him with life, that he came not only back to life, he was lifted to a higher level of existence. Firm, solid, touchable, real, in a new, new, in a new flesh altogether. That's the power that raised Christ from the dead. And Paul says, and that power is in you. Amen. Are you following this? Amen. So you say, my body's got a mind of its own. Yeah, well, so the power of the Holy Spirit's tougher than even your body. That's, and so he says, you can lay hold of that. And then Paul will say, and by the spirit, not by your willpower. See, this is the whole deal. Not by your willpower. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that word anymore. I'm going to, whatever it is. It's not by your willpower. You put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And it can be done and we can teach you how. We can teach you how. I spent time teaching a couple of people this week. You can do this. That means that the same power that raised Jesus' dead body back to life, in fact, to a new immortal level of life, lives inside us and will help us put to death the, uh, the wrong impulses of our flesh and empower us to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are not slaves to our body anymore. Would you say that? We are, we are not. not slaves to our body. The last one is death. Jesus is the first human being to escape the grip of death. And because you and I are joined to him by faith, the moment he escaped from death, we escaped with him. Listen again to Paul. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Spiritually, in God's economy, frankly, the devil sees this, the law sees this, everything sees this. You spiritually actually died with Jesus. When you, and, and he pictures it in water baptism. Because water baptism, you know, is a burial. The, the water is meant to be a grave. And so we lower you down. 
and not just into a grave, we lower you down into Jesus' grave. When you're water baptized, it symbolizes that you were buried with Christ. So that his death is your death. Spiritually, you have died your death for your sin. You died with Christ. But we don't leave you there. We also raise you up. So spiritually, you have already been raised with Christ. Now, in fact, we're, gonna, we're waiting for, to see that moment. But spiritual reality of it has already happened. It's a done deal. You're raised with Christ already. A deep awareness now fills our heart that that death is not that death is not the end. That we will not only step through we will only step through the veil into a new higher level of existence. None of us wants to go through the process of dying, but the fear of death is gone. We live with a different perspective. Life for us has just begun. So there are our enemies. Sin, the devil, our flesh, and death. Each has the power to destroy us. But by his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated everyone. Christ's victory is our victory. One more time, would you say that with me? Christ's victory. And then Paul would say this, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, he is risen. Would you stand with me? Blessed be God. So where does our healing start? Starts right in the middle. It starts in our walk with God. When, when our walk with God is there, when, when Jesus Christ is our risen Lord, we now have everything we need to live the new life that he has planned for us. Without that, we're captives. Captives to some terrible forces. The devil, our flesh. Power of sin and rebellion. All of those things grip us. But by choosing Jesus Christ, it's not a game. There's the, many of us, most of us, I would think, can testify this is real. This is real. He comes in and he's real to us. And he frees us and heals us. If you don't have him, I want to just encourage you today. What a wonderful day. How do you receive him? You make the decision. It's going to be, you're going to have to put that fruit back on the tree. Will you really let God be God in your life? Will you let him tell you no? Will you let him have you clean things up, correct you, discipline you? Will you let him be your heavenly father? Will you let him have his plan for your life? Will you surrender to him and say, all right, I'm done. You, you can guide me, whatever you say. From now on, the decisions I make are what pleases you. It's best I know. If I make a mistake, forgive me. But I'm going to do everything in my power to follow you. Can you say that? Can you trust him like that? Can you trust the God who made you like that? Will you trust Jesus Christ, his son, that what he did on the cross was a deep, powerful, spiritual transaction, that God sent him to do that very thing? So that he could rescue you. You and I have gotten ourselves in a mess. But he sent his son so that he could take the curse for us, the blame for us, the judgment for us, the fury that all of this injustice of it fell on him. 
So that if I would put my faith in him, I would be joined to him in his death and joined to him in his resurrection and now forgiven by God and walk with him forever. What a salvation. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Would you bow your heads with me one moment? I just want to, there's the gospel. And I want to give an opportunity right now for you to say yes to that, if that's you. That says, this day I understand I am willing to fully surrender to Jesus Christ. I do put that fruit back on the tree. He is the one who decides good from evil. I am not God, he is God. And I will become his son or I'll be his daughter. Now walk with him in obedience and in love. I trust him from this day forward. He's my God. And I trust Jesus Christ, his beautiful son. He did die for me. And I'll put my arms around his cross and I'll never let go. He's my savior. Does anyone need today to say, that's my choice. I make this decision. I mean it right now with all my heart. Would you raise your hand if that's you? And I will agree with you is what I'm going to do right now. It's just stand in agreement. But I think it's important to make the step. Yes, Praise God. Yes, I see you. Yes. Blessed be God. It's not a game we're playing right now. This word's been preached. Faith is here. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Yes, yes. Praise God. It's just a wonderful opportunity to make that decision. Anyone else you'd like to say yes to him right now? I'll tell you. <laughs> yes, I see your hand. You'll, a million years from now, you're going to be really glad you did this. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? A million years from now, you're going to go, oh man, why did I pray with that preacher and, and give my life to him? And, and here I am resurrected and alive and enjoying the pleasures of God forever. You're going to be so grateful. Yes, I see your hand. Blessed be the Lord. Yes, I see your hand. Praise God. I give a minute because sometimes we're pondering the cost of it. And that's a good thing, actually. You will pay a cost. There's all kinds of things, family things, and who knows what you're, who knows where he's, he may, he may well send you halfway around the world as a missionary. You don't know what he's going to do. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Bless God and yours. Praise God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the deep decisions that are being made right now. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Praise. All right, my last, my last time, anyone I missed. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. All right, church, let's pray. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer along the lines of what I've just said to you. And we're going to respond to him. If you would, pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father your, love for me is amazing. your love for me is amazing. You have pursued me all my life. You, have all my life. you, you know my weakness. You know my, you know my sin. And yet you have loved me. You're amazing. Thank you for sending your beloved son. To let him endure what he went through. To bear the curse for me. To pay the price for my sin. To suffer in my place. With all my heart. In faith. This day. I confess. He died for me. I receive his death. I believe it. I will put my arms around his cross and hold on for the rest of eternity. He is my savior. I renounce my own good works. I renounce my bad works. I am forgiven. 
and clean in Jesus Christ. My Heavenly Father, I put the fruit back on the tree. I fully surrender. I know I'm going to have to walk this out and learn what it means. But my will, my heart right now is to say yes to you. I surrender. You are my God. I am your, your child. I will follow you, obey you, allow you to correct me, teach me, train me, take my life and use it for the plan you have. I want to be who you want me to be. From this day forward, that's my goal. Make the word come alive. Make me understand it and love it and feed on the word of God the rest of my life. Now, uh, I, I'm going to pray one more thing. I want to have this, but I wanted to say this. You have surrendered and you have confessed Christ. You are now, if you meant that, and the Lord knows that and so do you, if you meant what you just did, you are righteous before God. That means no sin on your account. That means God, God has now given to you everything. And what he gives you is he gives you Christ. He's yours now. Not just up there somewhere. He's yours. He's with you. He loves you. He brings to you the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't force his way into our lives. He always wants us to invite him. He wants us to welcome him. He's, he's, he's very gracious that way and very respectful in a sense. And so you must say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. And he, what he wants to do is take up his abode in your very physical body. Literally, you become a living temple, the Bible says. So that inside you, you are full of God. But he won't force his way. You must invite him in. So if you are well, ready to do that, would you put your hand on your heart? In a sense, what you're doing is laying hands on yourself. Which you can do, by the way. And would you pray this with me? Dear Holy Spirit, you are my gift. I need you. I will need you forever. I invite you. I ask you, come and dwell inside me. May within me be rivers of living water. Your presence, your power, I need you. Guide me, teach me, comfort me, heal me, correct me, convict me. Do all you need. I receive your gifts, all of the gifts of the Spirit. I ask you to baptize me powerfully in the Holy Spirit. I yield to meet you, Lord, that I might move in the Spirit. In prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, healing, tongues, all of the gifts. I receive your precious gifts. I'm a child of God, full of the Holy Spirit, redeemed loved and my foot is on a path that God has ordained from before the creation of the world Heavenly Father I thank you for my future everything just changed in Jesus powerful name I pray it and I mean every word I say Amen Blessed be God. Oh, Father, for every heart that just prayed, 
we thank you. We just say, may the Spirit of the Lord, just as you've prayed, be strong on you. May the Lord open your ears and eyes to hear his voice and see what he's doing. May he give you a heart that loves his word and is tender and humble before him. And we just declare over you as, you, as your brothers and sisters, he, he has formed you for good works that you should walk in them. You are his workmanship. He loves you dearly. Everything changes now. Everything changes now. Father God, by faith, we claim a great future. We, a, future a fruitful one for our beloved. In Jesus' powerful name, if you agree, would you say amen? amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.